Welcome back to Jesus Speaks Farsi. After a year of sharing stories of the church in Iran, we thought we'd take a moment to share something a little different. In this season of Jesus Speaks Farsi, we'll be talking to friends whose lives have been deeply impacted and shaped by the story of Iran's church, even though they're all from the West. Our hope is that in hearing their stories on how they've become involved, your imagination might also be stirred for ways the Lord might have you become more deeply connected to what God is doing in the Iran region and beyond. Through these conversations, we'll hear about the vital roles that prayer and giving can have in participating in this story. The Iranian church has responded in extraordinary moments of great pressure or sadness or um, unknown. Um, and that their first response has been pressing into prayer. You know, I can't speak Farsi. I can't go to Iran and be a church planter there. That's not my part to play, but there is a part I can play. I think that's what giving is. It's a way of playing your part. We'll also talk with those on the front lines of ministry, both at home and abroad. I went and lived in an area of Karachi, and it was hard because I was just completely uh, alone there, and it wasn't in a particularly easy place. But but then when you do obey, uh, interesting stuff happens. There's this tendency, I think, in all of us that when you see somebody different, you tend to turn and walk away from them. But I think this is a moment in our in our generation and in this time of history that God is saying, when you see somebody different, turn and walk towards them meet them get to know them you know see what their needs are see how you can you can be a friend to them today's conversation is with our friends neil and celeste rogers an american couple living in the middle of texas with a heart for iran recently joe sat down with neil and celeste to talk about how their current vision for their personal ministry has shifted as they enter a season of staying rather than going Neil and Celeste also share thoughts on what it looks like when the mission field comes to you in the form of refugees in your hometown. I know you'll be encouraged by Neil and Celeste's excitement for what God is doing in Iran, as well as how he's using their passion for the nations to minister to those in their own community. We're glad you're here with us today. Let's get started. Welcome back to Jesus Speaks Farsi, and today we've got a different kind of episode. We actually have uh, two Americans on with us today, and I'm very excited to have Neil and Celeste. I'm going to let them share a bit of their stories, but why are we asking two Americans to come and share on Jesus Speaks Farsi? Um, well, we know Jesus speaks all different kinds of languages, but they've had a, a, a great love for the Iranian people for quite a while, but more recently... Uh, they've added an uh, an Iranian to their family, for real, not just a spiritual family, but the real family. So, Celeste, can you tell us what's happened in the last couple of weeks with your family and becoming even more Iranian? Yes, our daughter recently married an Iranian, and she met him here in England. Yeah. And they stayed in contact online and just a little bit at a time because it was COVID, but... Um, just really, we fell in love with him. Yeah. We all did. And so they got married how long ago? Just a couple of months or? A month ago. A month ago. Yeah. So really recent. So congratulations to the two of them. And we pray they have a wonderful marriage. And where are they going to live? They're going to live in in Midland, Texas. Midland, Texas, which yes. is where you guys are from. So uh, Neil, over to you. You're in, you're in Midland, Texas, which seems like 
complete polar opposite to Tehran in Iran. So how how did you guys start getting involved with Iran? Let, let's go back to the beginning, actually. how what, What's your journey with the Lord? How did that start? How did you guys meet and how did it lead to Iran? Well, about 23 years ago, somebody invited us to be a part of planning a brand new church. And uh, that wasn't anything we were looking to do. It's just we had ended up in the city uh, because of a job transfer. And they invited us to be a part of this church plant. And it began to... So, sorry, were you working in full-time ministry or were you working regular jobs? No, I worked in the hospital. I did rehabilitation for people who had brain injuries and strokes. And uh, so we just wanted to to try this and see what it was like, uh, to, to maybe use some different methodology to try to reach people that the church was not reaching Mm -hmm. in the area. And, uh, it really started to change our focus from what it meant to be a believer as far as us in a lot of ways, a selfish of way of, of just trying to worry about ourselves to starting to think about how do we reach people who don't know Jesus, that don't have a relationship with him. And over the course of time, uh, I felt like God was leading me to return and pursue some more education. Okay. And uh, I was able to train in some theological education in So let, let, let me just stop that. So you're working full time. You're helping with a church plant. You're married with children at the mm-hmm. time. How many children? We, we had two at that time. And then you decide, oh, let's just throw in an extra education so what what did you how did you feel about that celeste were you like yeah let's go for it or no it started with praying about what we should do with our daughter for school the next year yeah and i am i'm dyslexic yeah and so teaching would not be my strong point and i just started praying okay lord do you want her to go to public school do you want her to go to private school what what's our next step and it became clear to me that I was supposed to homeschool her. And mm-hmm. as I would just read through my Bible and God would just show me things, I laughed and said, Lord, if you want me to homeschool her next year, you're going to have to make Neil come to me because if I tell him that, he's not going to go for <laughs> it. It's going to have to come from you first. Okay. And one night at dinner, I said, well, you know, if we're going to sign up for private school, we need to do it. So have you thought about it? With Within the back of your mind, you should be homeschooling. Yes. Okay. That, okay. So you were a bit tricky there. I was tricky <laughs> because I, I knew if it came from me, it yeah. wouldn't fly. Okay. So he just said, Celeste, I get this, this weird sense that we're supposed to homeschool her. Right. <laughs> so, so you wanted to homeschool, but you were going back to school as well. Well, we didn't. Well, no, at the time. Okay, so keep going. And that was fun in itself in that I was praying, okay, God, I get this sense that you're telling me to quit my job, move my family across the country, and pursue this education. But if that's really what you want, would you make it as clear to Celeste as you made it to me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what was really funny is we had received a gift certificate for a travel agency Okay. And we had set up a, an anniversary trip that we were going to go take. And one night, Celeste said, we need to talk about this trip. I really feel like we're supposed to cancel this trip and use this gift certificate to start uh, researching seminaries because I feel like God is calling us back to that at wow. this time. What my, So a, a wedding anniversary gift, what year was it? I think it was our 10th anniversary. 
Tenth anniversary. Yeah. He won okay. a, he won an award at work for being excellent. Oh, I'm not surprised you won an award. Was it just <laughs> for being excellent? Neil Rogers for being excellent at work. I've never received one of those, but <laughs> that'd be nice. So, so you end up going back. You went well, not back to say. You end up going back to school to do seminary. Where did you land? We ended in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, uh, Kentucky. I was studying missions, evangelism, and church growth with yeah. the idea that God may be calling us to be church planters sometime. We had just experienced yeah. this new church plant, uh, the excitement of it, the opportunity to see people coming to Christ and. Uh, maybe we were supposed to move somewhere and be a part of that sometime as well. Okay, so you spent how many years in Louisville, Kentucky? So we were only there a year, right? and our church that we had helped to plant said, would you guys come back and finish your education from a long distance, and would you take a role in, uh, in on our staff here at this church? Because okay. the church was growing, and uh, they were at a place where some of the things needed to begin adding some staff members. Okay. So they asked me to come back and lead all of our children's ministries at our church. Right. And you're homeschooling during all of this, Celeste. <laughs> we homeschooled for one year. One year. All right. You did what you was, you did what you felt called to do. Wonderful. So you homeschool for a year, you study and you go back to Midland, Texas, mm-hmm. help with the church plan and carry on your education. Doing children's work, but I know you as missions pastors. So when when did you get into like that full time missions role? Well, I think missions was in our heart, regardless of wherever we were serving in the church. So uh, in my mind, children's ministry is a great uh, laboratory to try to do different things to teach people that maybe don't understand in the way the church normally speaks about things to teach them about God's heart and teach them about what he wants. And so it was a great opportunity to think about contextualizing every message so that whether it's a four-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old, they understand it in a way that, that they actually understand. And I look back at that now and I realize that God was using that to help me think about when I'm teaching overseas or when I'm teaching in a different culture to think first about the people that I'm working with and, and then to be able to see his timeless truths uh, told in in a way that they can really get it and and understand the application of it and how it's personal. So, I know you've traveled a lot, both of you. Whilst you're in this season of life, had you been overseas together anywhere? Had you done any short-term missions together or anything? No, I don't think so at that time. Uh, no. So what was the first trip that you guys took overseas? Because I like to say, well, we're, we're always on mission, right? We're always well, doing missions. But when was the first overseas one? Back up just a little bit. Okay. Neil did children's ministry for probably 10 years. Yeah, about eight years. About eight years. And then it just became clear to him that he was supposed to change roles. And as he would run in the morning, he used to run. And as he would run in the morning, he would pray. And God really gave him a heart for the schools. And as he would do his normal morning run, he would run about around about four schools. Hmm. And so he switched into youth ministry, but he knew he was the old guy. And he said, I feel like I'm supposed to be here and set up the platform for somebody younger to come in and take over. So he said, I'll do this for 
two or three years, I think, was the timing he set. And he said, then if there's a place for me here, then great. I'll step into that position. And if not, we'll go see what God has for us next. Well, during that time, he started working with the guy that was the missions pastor and involving the youth in some local things and praying for kids overseas. And and it was really cool how God used that because we would take the pictures Mm -hmm. of the children's faces that of the ministries that that the current missions pastor was supporting and just pair them up with our kids and have them start praying for them but it's easier to pray for somebody when you have actually a face of Mm -hmm. somebody to pray for and so as he and this gentleman started working together one day it became clear to everybody that Neil was supposed to step into his role as he was going to retire. Okay, so the missions pastor was about to retire. You'd been working alongside him for a while, and you were going to step into that. Mm-hmm. So during during that process, he would just the missions pastor would just invite him to meet some of the different partners, and one day. Bruce called him and said, hey, I've got this guy you've got to meet. And Neil said, I just don't have time. He said, I can't. And Bruce said, Neil, you need to come meet with him for 30 minutes and then you can go. And Neil said, 30 minutes, I can give you 30 minutes. And I think that that meeting with Sam and David Yegnazar lasted probably three hours. Oh, so that 30 minute (laughs) meeting was Sam and David. So you weren't, were you officially the missions pastor yet? I had moved into the role of missions pastor. Uh, Really what happened before that is my friend that was our current missions pastor, he would say, come with me to my my house by the river. Yeah. And he had a house in central Texas. And let's just dream about what church planning could really be like. Mm. He said, I know you have a heart for church planning, but let's just dream about what could really happen if we were to uh, step outside of the box of what people think about when they think about a church plant. And, and I'm, you know, we had a great, great conversations, great experience. But then he asked me to sit down and talk with some friends of his. And again, I was like, I, I don't really have time. I, I've, I've just got back from being overseas and I'm yeah. about to go again. And I have several different things I'm thinking about. And we sat down in a coffee shop and I think it was David actually opened up his, his iPad. Yeah. And he began to show me pictures of a baptism okay. that had happened in a country near Iran yeah. of Iranians who had come into that country for the purpose of being baptized. And truthfully, at, the, at that time, I had never heard of any Iranians hmm. coming to Christ. I had never heard of any Ar- Iranians that were being baptized or any type of movement of God that was happening inside of Iran. So literally, we sat there, <laughs> Dan and, and Sam and David and I, for about two to three hours Wow. And as it turned out, in about two weeks, there was a, a founders event. Okay. And they said, why don't you come here more? Why don't you come learn a little bit more about what's happening? Yeah. And we equally had a trip planned to a country right next to Iran. Okay. Two weeks after that. So everything seemed to line up. So you went to event. you went to an event to hear more about what God was doing in the Iranian church you were going to a country close to Iran. And so when did you first meet 
these Iranian people overseas and what was that experience like? Did you, did you both go or just you, Neil? Yeah, the, both of us went on both trips. Okay. Uh, we went to the, the event. Yeah. And it was Celeste that literally looked at me and said, you know, God just may be do, doing something in our day that yeah. we had no idea about. And if all of this is really true, we don't want to miss this. What what year was that? Can you remember what year it was? It was about 10 years ago, I would think. 10 years ago. Yeah. So there'd just been all those arrests um, of the Christians inside Iran. That, as, as far as she'd been arrested, that's kind of a... Yeah, that had talked. Farshid had either just been arrested or he was arrested right after that. Around that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So... There was a lot of excitement about this growing church, but the persecution was very, very real and intense at the time. Mm-hmm. And well, what was it, Celeste, that you went, God's doing something special here? Well, during the Founders event, yeah. they would just show these pictures mm-hmm. of these people. And it was men and women, old and young, But you could just see before that they were Christians, their eyes were just, they were just hard and cold. And and then you would see these pictures of them afterwards, and there was just life and joy Mm -hmm. and peace in their eyes and love. I mean, literally, it looked like somebody photoshopped the two pictures. And I just thought, God is doing something, or this is a huge sham, and they're making lots of money. (laughs) (laughs) And so I pushed in and said, I think we need to go visit the school. The the training school where they were training leaders. And I I told Neil, and sometimes Neil listens to me and sometimes he doesn't. So I kept (laughs) pushing into him, we need to go to that school. And he said, Celeste, we don't want to overstep. And so we did, he made it happen. And we went to the school and literally, you know, we think of school, we think of desks and warm, warm teachers and, you know, chalkboards. And we walked into this church with wooden pews Uh and everybody's sitting on pillows wrapped in their jackets and blankets because it was so cold and this drink, is a three-month course that this was the three-month okay. course drinking hot tea yeah and these students they were all ages men and women young and old hmm. just writing everything down as fast as they could just listening and focusing and trying to just absorb all of the the Bible stories and yeah. all of the and so just for our listeners, these are students that had come out of Iran for this training that were then going to be sent back into Iran. Yes, correct. Okay. Wow. And they their hearts were just on fire for the Lord, and so and then we were able to eat lunch with them and yeah. communicate with them the best we could. We didn't we couldn't say much. I mean, yeah. there were translators, but but you just could feel this special thing yes. happen. So, yeah. what what do you remember about that first trip, Neil? Well, we had actually gone on that trip to to be a part of a strategic planning session with a bunch of Western missionaries okay. who were trying to reach people in the Iran region. Okay. And we had heard lots of stories about difficulties and frustrations and how hard it was as an American to try to share your faith with uh, with the Iranians and with other or other people Muslim people, other Muslim people. Yeah. And when we got to the 
to the church, the pastor had asked us, he said, before you do anything, I want you to go out with some evangelism teams oh, okay. and just walk about 50 yards behind them or so. And when you see them stop to talk to somebody, just pray over that encounter. Okay. And we watched two individuals, I think they were probably in their 20s, yeah. on the streets of this massive city and uh, being able to share one after another and hand gospels out to people, hand out New Testaments to people. And we got back to the church and they told us stories of how 20 to 30 people were coming, Muslim background people or completely Muslim people were coming to the church every single week yeah. saying, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about who he is and what he does. I've read some of this New Testament someone gave me on the street, and I want to learn more. We started hearing stories of baptisms and a story of a young couple who had gone into a bookstore looking for a New Testament and been just chewed out by the uh, bookstore owner because of the this fact that... This had happened in Iran they were looking at, in, in a country in a co close. country close to Iran. Okay. And just being chewed out that said, you're Muslims, you should yeah. not be looking for this book. You, should, you shouldn't need this book. Yeah. Walked out of the store in tears only to and then immediately be confronted by, by one, one of, of our evangelists people. who <laughs> handed them a new testament yeah and and hearing these stories of of what god was doing you using iranians to reach iranians yeah and using people who whenever someone would come up to them and they'd hand them a new testament they'd say but you're iranian how could you be a christian yeah and they'd say, well, let me tell you, yeah. which basically was them asking, hey, would you share your testimony with yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. And they would. And from that, there would just be this sense of awe and amazement for, I don't understand this, but I think I want to know more. Mm. And it really, God used those moments to start changing my, my heart about missions in general. Mm. Because my thought about missions was get Westerners prepared and ready to send them to places overseas mm. so that they can learn the language, learn the culture, learn all of the things they need to know and, and be a part of reaching the world. But he opened my eyes to the fact that I'm using people that already understand the culture, mm. understand the language, can say, I was Muslim, but let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. And he was using them in ways that would have taken years for a Western missionary to earn that kind of opportunity or influence yeah. to begin sharing that way. And it really began to change my whole perspective about what missions was all about. Cause I kind of thought missions was about me mm. and about what I was supposed to be doing to make sure all of the people who haven't heard yeah. could hear, but it became about how could I help equip and empower others so that they could be more effective evangelists and missionaries than I could ever even dream about being on my own. That's a great, great story. What what I love just about this particularly to just stop us there is we tell so many stories of Iranian people, right? We hear these amazing stories, encounters with Jesus, reading the Bible. But what I love is that everybody's got a great story. Like I'm really blessed by your story, but we're going to have to keep it focused on the Iranians because this podcast is called Jesus Speaks Farsi. We need to have another one called Jesus Speaks Texan or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure he does. So you've been working closely with the Iranian church and you do other missions as well, right? You help in other countries, but let's let's just stay focused on the Iranian church for now. This is going to be a hard question 
to answer, but how would you sum up the last decade or so of working quite closely? You've been you've been on many trips to the Iran region. You've been teachers there. You've helped with some of the teaching, the training. Uh, you've helped Iranians as they've come over to America and settled. All different kinds of things have gone on. So how would you sum up? What, what have you learned about the heart of God and about Jesus through the last decade of working with Iranians? And any of you can, I'd like to hear from both of you. Well, for me personally, it, I just, it seems like every day God is showing me a bigger picture of himself. Mm. That throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, his heart is for the nations. Mm. And I, I see so many Americans that they, they say, well, the reason I don't do evangelism or the reason I don't do missions is because I just don't know enough. What if somebody were to ask me a question and I couldn't answer? Mm. What if I were to look foolish if I was sharing my faith and somebody was, were to reject me? And what I've watched with the Iranian church is that Jesus touches someone's life. We've heard it so many different times that people say, Jesus touched my heart and he changed my heart. Then he changed my face. Mm. He changed my, my perspective. And I've watched so many people that Jesus comes in and invades their life and immediately they start wanting to tell people about it. And I've watched this reality that Jesus wants to see whole households come to faith. Yeah. Just like we saw with Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer and Lydia and her whole family that, that somebody, when Jesus touches their life and really transforms their heart, they just want to tell people about it. They want to tell their family about it, their friends yeah. about it. They want to let people know. And these are all people that are brand new believers. They don't know a whole lot as far as theology and as far as all the things we try to teach in the church. But the Holy Spirit uses their testimony and their fervency and their excitement to to do absolutely incredible things as they reach out to other people. So, so God's given me a bigger heart for the nations. He's given me a bigger picture of himself and he's given me a different perspective of evangelism yeah. that evangelism is going out and saying, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Mm. I mean, personally, I don't think that God is asking me to convince a Muslim why they shouldn't be a Muslim. Yeah. I think what he's asking me to do is tell somebody about what Jesus has done for me. Yeah. And then let him and his Holy Spirit do yeah. the work in their heart to. And everybody can do that. You yeah. don't need a degree or go to seminary for, exactly. for that. What, what about you, Celeste? How would you? Can you repeat the question? The question is like, try and sum up, which is very hard, but, but try and sum up the last decade of working with Iranians, even now having an Iranian son-in-law. What, how's that changed your perspective on God or drawn you closer to the heart of God? over that last decade of working with Iranians? I think the first thing is he's taken my heart from a place that as Americans of a people that we are taught to fear. If you watch American news, it's Iran this, Iran that. They bombed this. They did that. And yes, they can be a very hard people. The government is a very hard government. But when you really just sit down with the people, they're just like us. They have the same, they have the same 
hearts that we do. I mean, when they when they accept Christ, when they come to Christ, they're so full of love and compassion. And just to be able to sit down and and hear the refugees say, what's next? And, you know, you just, as a mom, I want to tell them it's, it's going to be okay. Learn English. <laughs> For one, you're going to need English. But, but you know, they, they have the same concerns and the same needs and desires as we do. Yeah. But the one thing that Neil and I have been able to speak into is when you grow up in a Muslim culture, men and women are totally separate. And it's just been fun to just walk with them and say, for Neil to say, as a husband, this is how you should treat your wife. Mm. And I've been able to say, as a wife and a mom, this is how you can respect your husband. You don't have to be under his rule or thumb or whatever, but but this is how you can respect him and and just walk with them. That's what they really want. They just want your time and your yeah. to listen. They're just they're just like we are. That's beautiful. And so um you mentioned the refugees, which is we see that word in the news a lot. Normally it's met with pictures of thousands of people crossing borders, wading in camps, coming across on boats, sneaking across borders. Mm-hmm. Um, which we're not going to get into anything political today. I, I want to stay far from that. But even in my time, I've worked with a lot of Iranian refugees, people who have left Iran, but it, it leads us into there's been this move amongst Afghans, mm. as, uh, especially in the last couple of years. And what a lot of people don't know is that many Afghans, uh, they're, they're Persian heritage as well. So you've got Iranians who are Persian, you've got Afghans who are Persian. And even though they're different countries, they speak different dialects, they're very similar and share a same heritage. So what we've actually seen in the last few years is many Iranians reaching Afghans. And um, it's been incredible for me to see in the last year or two, there's many Afghans coming to Christ, like falling in love with Jesus, just like the Iranians. And what the Iranian church has learned over the last decade, the last 20 years, they're sharing that with Iranian, uh, with, with Afghans. So despite the Taliban taking back over, the church in Afghanistan is growing. Afghans are coming to Christ. And we have had in the last year or so, hundreds of thousands of Afghans come into our communities. And Neil, you've been able um, to work alongside some of these and some of the movements that's happening in the church. Can, can you sum up a little bit of what's happened last year or two with Afghans coming to the States and how the American churches are trying to help that and share a bit of your story. So many of the Afghans that, uh, whether they helped with the U S military, whether they helped in schools, in the police department, Mm -hmm. uh, ended up in a position when the American military started to pull out of being kind of public enemy to the, to the Taliban. And so they were really left with no choice. It wasn't like they were saying, I've got to get to America so I can have the better life. It was more, I would love to be able to stay in my own country, but I have no choice. If I stay here, my life is in jeopardy. And so they ended up in military camps uh, for the purpose of being vetted, for uh, making sure they had immunizations, different things like that. And then many ended up on the streets of our cities all across America. And 
they were given some money by the government, but it's not nearly enough money to be able to to really live for any period of time. Just basically get a, a minor start. And especially in Texas, we I think Texas is now the number one state receiving refugees with Houston and Dallas as the two largest cities. And thousands of Afghans have come to these cities and they're all around us. They're in the uh, the grocery stores there. We see them on the street walking down to, you know, the school or wherever we're going. Apartment complexes that are filled with Afghans. And there's this tendency, I think, in all of us that when you see somebody different, you tend to turn and walk away from mm-hmm. them. But I think this is a moment in our in our generation and in this time of history that God is saying, when you see somebody different, turn and walk towards them. Mm-hmm meet them, get to know them, you know, see what their needs are, see how you can, you can be a friend to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, see how you can say, I want to welcome you to my nation. Uh, I was actually working a couple of weeks ago, helping teach English to a couple of Afghan men. And both of them, I found out one had been in charge of helping build roads for the U S military. Another one had been in charge of helping the military do food distribution and things. And it's like, these are people that they did everything to help mm. others. Now they find themselves in a place where they need help. What an opportunity for us to be a friend to them yeah. and in turn to be Jesus to them yeah. and be a part of what they're doing. The amazing thing is that in the midst of this, we're seeing Afghans that are coming to Christ. Yeah, And just like with the Iranians, they're telling other people about it. So l- they're l- careful. L- let me just ask you there, because for a lot of us in the West, we think of Afghans coming to Christ, and the same as Iranians. I didn't know Iranian Muslims were coming to Christ, but Afghanistan, in, in my experience, is even more intense. You've got the whole history of the Taliban. There's been a lot of war there. Is that a difficult thing? Like, is it? Is that is that something that you're seeing or hearing about often, or was it like? The Afghan came to Christ. The family doesn't want anything to do with him. What What are you seeing? And and are their I, hearts open? Let, let's talk about that a bit. First and foremost, yes, I've seen their hearts very open, mm-hmm. especially if somebody is willing to to come alongside of them, to encourage them, to support them, uh, to to help them, not by giving them things, but by building a relationship. But second, it's hard. That when an Afghan comes to to Christ, the way their families are responding uh, is very difficult, and yeah. and they're in ver- they're in fear of if somebody finds out that I'm a follower of Jesus, it puts my whole family at risk okay. inside of Afghanistan. So there's there's a little more hesitancy at this time than with some of the Iranians that I've seen. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, they're open. And they began to seek the Lord and they began to say, who am I supposed to tell? Who am I supposed to help? And in doing that, you know, over a period of time, I think that God's going to do amazing things. I think we are going to see whole households come to faith, just like we've seen in Iran. Yeah, We're going to see those things happen in Afghanistan yeah. as God continues to work in people's hearts, as the church continues to come alongside of people and love them uh, without any expectation of them or without any, uh, having been so results oriented of being able to check off that they got baptized or mm-hmm. they got, you know, they made a decision, but just love them and, and pour into them. I really do think that God's going to continue to use that to not just touch 
Afghans in America, but touch Afghans all over the world. So let me let me ask you a, a question, and I've got a few other ones that I'm really interested to hear. So you, I love that idea of instead of walking away from somebody that's different, the Lord wants us to walk towards, which... Um, and you mentioned, Celeste, in the news, we see these bad images and news stories of people from the Middle East. And I'm a, a Westerner. Let's say I'm, I'm a, uh, you said you work with two Afghan men. It was a, a great story. But what about an Afghan woman who's maybe covered? She's wearing a headscarf or she's got a face covered. So from either of you, do you do you approach women? Celeste, what 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 can an American do without being weird? <laughs> <laughs> and and doing something ridiculous to like engage whether it be men women because there are cultural things there when i've worked with afghans the men and the women are separate a lot and they don't interact as much as westerners do so what what are some thoughts and ideas for that kind of thing i think in our area there are not a lot of women there yeah. are becoming more but they're not a lot, but just don't be afraid. Just yeah. be nice. I think yeah. we walk away instead of being not, instead of walking away, just say, say hi, yeah. smile at them. Yeah. I mean, your eyes say a lot, even if you don't speak the same language yeah. and if you can help them somehow, just offer to help, but just don't be afraid. Just Offer love, yeah. However you can. Here, let me carry that for you. Do you need anything? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm reminded of a story. Uh, this is not my story. I, I've I've been able to work with quite a lot of Afghans in America, but I want to share a story of another man. He was up in New York, and uh, he made friends with an Islamic family. This was a few years ago, and so he finally plucked up the courage to invite this Islamic family to his home for dinner. And he was nervous, you know, I hope I don't, you know, um, offend them or serve them the wrong meal or whatnot. And halfway through the dinner, uh, this Islamic man from a, a foreign country, been in America a few years, he started to cry at the dinner table or hold back the tears, but he, he was starting to cry. And the American man was like, oh, no, I've offended them. What have I done? He said, I'm really sorry for, if I've offended you or your family. What are you upset about? And the Islamic man said, I've been in America for five years, and this is the first time I've been in an American's mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And he was so overwhelmed with that love and that hospitality. But um, many of us are, in, are frightened to invite these people to our, to our homes in case we offend them or something like this. So have, have you come across that or anything like that? Unfortunately, that's the reality. I mean, four out of five refugees that come to America are never invited into an American's home. Wow. So the sometimes I think we think we have to do something really big for God. Mm -hmm. Maybe the really big thing we need to do is invite somebody to come to our house, you know, for tea or, or for dinner. Uh, just start to build a relationship with somebody. Uh, equally, we've been able to identify an organization that is helping uh, refugees to be able to learn English, uh, to be able to fill out the simple forms that we have to fill out for getting a job or yeah. uh, for getting a driver's license or uh, just to be able to write and to read, to get ready for their GED so maybe they could continue their education or continue yeah. in their in their profession. There are many Afghans that have come to the U.S. that are, they were masters and PhD level yeah. individuals in Afghanistan and now they're 
glad to have a job at Walmart because mm-hmm. they, they just have a hard time being able to uh, re uh, get their license and get a new license or renew their certification to be able to do what they did in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. But in, in relation to your question about men and women, I was nervous about it personally. I, I thought, okay, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to set up any barriers. And I quickly realized, uh, don't reach out to take their hand. Mm -hmm. Uh, don't put your arm around their shoulder, you know, different (laughs) things like that. But I also was surprised to find that as I would help in the classes, helping teach English, uh, many women were asking for my help. Mm. Uh, many women were, their face would lighten, you know, would, would just shine whenever I would say, you did a great job on that. And so I began to take people from my church with me because I think we all have the same fears. We all have the same barriers that we put up against people from other cultures and especially people from Muslim cultures. Uh, we tend to think, oh, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to have anything to Mm. do with me. And so I started bringing other people from my church and say, let's go do this. And what it did was it not only allowed me to continue to going and going back and going back, build a, a, a relationship that tore down a lot of those barriers, but it equally allowed a lot of other people to begin to tear down those barriers. Yeah. And it's amazing when you, when you are willing to open your eyes and willing to think differently, it's amazing what God will begin to show you at home on, on a consistent basis. Mm. People that, you know, I've always walked away from this type of person. Maybe I'm supposed to walk towards somebody. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know? Yeah, so ju- anybody who's listening, whether you're in the UK or America, we'll put different links and ways you can reach out and contact people if you are working with Afghans or Iranians and, and you want to help these refugees in your community. But Neil, I want to I wanna go on to ask somebody that really wants to help, is it a one-time invitation round for dinner? Is it showing up at their door and giving them stuff? How how can we as Westerners really capture this season um, and not just help an, any uh, Afghan or an Iranian, but really come alongside them and, and journey with them um, through this season of their life? Well, I think first, let's realize that if a Muslim were to come to us and say, I want you to convert to Islam, mm. We're not going to just do that because we had dinner together. Yeah. And and the reality is they're not either. I mean, you're asking them to leave a lot of their of their culture, a lot of their family, uh, a lot of things. And we're so results oriented in the Western church sometimes that all we focus on is we got to have the results. Mm. So I think first we have to think a little differently. We have to renew our minds to realize it's about relationship first. Okay. Whether we connect with a resettlement agency and say, you know, I know you have people that you've helped resettle. Is there anyone that I could kind of begin to build a relationship with, help them? Your PTA at school to start looking around for who who are some potential families that are coming to my school where my kids attend that I could get to know and that I could start to build a relationship Mm -hmm. with. Uh, whether your church or another organization provides some type of preschool or some type of ESL type uh, opportunity, search out those type of things and just come in with a heart that says, I want to help you. And I want you to know you're here in my country. You might have never wanted to come to my country, but I want you to be welcome here. I want you to be able to see this as your country, as your place where you can raise your family. And I want to help you be successful in that. Uh, I think when we 
are willing to get past the immediate results of, I got to get them saved and then I got to get them a Bible and I got to get them involved in a Bible study. Things start to happen. And there's a story that happened a couple of weeks ago. A lady said, you know, I'm Muslim because my father is Muslim. He's Muslim because our nation is Muslim. But now I think I'm going to decide for myself. Mm. And given that type of opportunity under the power of the Holy Spirit, who yeah. knows what could happen? Yeah. And so uh, I think that's what we're looking for. Yeah. One of the things I've loved about working with the Iranian church is a lot of this movement isn't, we have to convert people, but everybody deserves an opportunity to hear yeah. the gospel and make that choice for themselves. So Celeste, let me come back to you a little bit to hear uh, a female perspective on this. How how are you seeing some of the best ways that people are extending the love of Jesus to refugees in our community and not just being, I've got to get them to say the sinner's prayer and get baptized and then I can move on to the next person, that extended journey of love with people? Well, what comes to my mind is that you and Macy and Neil and I are friends, mm-hmm. But why are we friends? We're friends because we've spent some time together. Um, We've seen you at multiple different things Mm -hmm. and we've talked. And you haven't necessarily been to our home and we haven't been to yours because we live in different states. But we still make a point to get together when we can. Mm. Okay. I think that it's the same way. I think it's saying hi when you pass in the schoolyard. I think it's it's being continual. You have to have a relationship to have a friendship. Mm-hmm. You have to begin to know somebody. And that happens when you spend time together, when you find common interests. Afghans, Iranians, Middle Easterns are very hospitable. Mm. If you've been to any of those countries, you know that everybody loves to sit and have a cup of tea or have an espresso and yeah. um, and just spend time together. And that has to happen mm. before you can begin to to share the gospel. I think I mean, yeah. you can share the gospel, but ultimately it's going to happen through a relationship. When we love on people, then they want to be with us. God loved us. We want to spend time with God because of his love that he yeah. gives and shows us. Well, when we mirror that to other people, they're going to want to know what's different about yes. us. And why do we have this love in our heart? Not, um, just an empty interest i mm. guess yeah i uh my mind's racing uh, if if we think of like the traditional western missions movement which i'm i'm not saying is right or wrong it's just the way it's been and, and the lord has used it immensely as as western as we think of missions and it's it's go so the few will move overseas completely most of us will either give financially or pray and some of us go on short-term mission trip but the invitation we have from Jesus now is long-term missions in our backyards mm-hmm. to not to to make that time to go back 
you know, one meeting turns into a meeting next week and we follow up again a week or a month later. And so the weeks turn to months and the months turn to years. And uh, just to continue that relationship, to love, to care for them when they, you know, teaching them English or walking alongside them, helping them out, going to kids' birthdays, this kind of stuff. But sometimes, Neil, a lot of times we feel so much pressure as Christians to make sure we've shared the gospel, right? which we, I think that's incredibly important. But how do we take away that pressure of getting someone to say the sinner's prayer or making sure we've shared the gospel or making sure we say the name of Jesus every time? Like, where, where do we bring in that balance of loving people we do want them to know about Jesus? Um do we have to share the gospel? Like what, what, what comes to mind with that question? I have a really good friend that, uh, he talks about, he's incredibly, he's an incredible evangelist for, uh, reaching out to Afghans. And he said, truthfully, a lot of our, our evangelism with Afghans is our kind of mic drop type moments Mm -hmm. where we trust the power of the Holy spirit to take something that we've done or said and let the person marinate on it for a period okay. of time. So then we can come back and maybe they ask us, ask us a question or they ask us something about, you said this, can you explain that? And so I think he had a criticism about Americans in that mo- many Muslims will say, Americans really don't believe what they say they believe mm. because you never talk about God and we never see you talk to him, okay? So you never talk about him, and we don't see you talk to him, so you must not believe much about him, Mm. you know? So here's the opportunity. First of all, we can pray for people, and we can actually pray for people when we're with them, that literally, like, when we're together and they're saying, I'm really having a hard time finding a job, we can do something as simple as, can I pray for you that you'll find a job, and just, God, I'm I met this new friend here today and I just want to ask you to work in his life to help him find a job. Amen. Mm. You don't have to bow your head. You don't have to close your eyes, get down on your knees, but just talk to God like you could have lunch with him because you have that kind of relationship with him. The second thing is to talk about him like you actually have a relationship with him. Mm. That don't be afraid to say, hey, I was praying this morning, or I was talking to God this morning, or here's something God showed me today that, that was really neat, or here's something that, that I've been doing that God has been directing me to do. There are things that we know in our hearts. We can just be a little bit more open about those things with our Muslim background friends. And in doing so, they actually see that not only is God important to them, but they seem to know God in a different way than I know him. Yeah. I know him as someone far off, someone that's uh, maybe wants something from me, but they seem to know him in a way that they just want each other. Like there's yeah. a love relationship there that I don't quite understand. Yeah. And just like I've heard your stories today, many Middle Eastern people, especially Persian, Iranian people, they love sharing stories. And so um, we all have a story. Right. And 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 people like, like to hear them. Um I want to just make a point here because I have so many Western friends, some people who love the Lord, some people who really question religion generally and 
why are you trying to convert all these Afghans and Iranians to to Jesus? Can they not just have their own culture and their their own things that they want to do? And I, I just want to make a point that as we talk about this, the heart of Jesus is to extend love and forgiveness and grace to people. And if you've spent time in some of these countries, they can be wonderful people. Uh, they can be good family members, but everybody wants to feel loved and forgiven. And that's something that Jesus offers that many times isn't in these cultures. Many times people carry around so much burden of unforgiveness and hurt and pain. They've never heard that God loves them. So when we think about, oh, it's the Christians trying to convert everybody to Christianity so we can feel good about ourselves. The love of Jesus is so powerful and forgiveness and grace is so powerful. So that's that's what I hear from you guys. I, I just want to make make the point that um, we're not trying to get our church pews full so we can feel good and have bigger churches. You want to extend this love that has changed your lives. And the reality is we don't draw anyone to God. Yeah, His Holy Spirit does. We get to be, he invites us to be part of what he's doing, to be his hands and his feet, to show his tangible love mm-hmm. to people. And through that, his Holy Spirit draws them to himself. And then in turn, they go and they tell a story about, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. That is more powerful than any story we can tell. Because if you share with with an Iranian or an Afghan that you're a Christian, their response is usually, of course you're a Christian, you're an American. Yeah. But if you share with them, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Mm. Now you're sharing something about, a relationship that has started that's been transformative in your life and that opens up a different perspective than than just the idea that you need to become christian yeah so last last couple of questions well, it's not really a question I, w- I just want to kind of give you the mic for a bit neil to say when you dream wildest dreams of what God could do with this moment that we're in as as uh, as American, as Westerners, as these Afghans come to our nations. What what do you dream of what's possible with God? Not just for the Afghans in America or in England or these other countries, but even back in Afghanistan. What are you hoping for or dreaming for? First, I dream for thousands of Afghans to become believers. Mm. And not just believers who say they're believers, but believers that are engaged in going out and, and letting other people know this is what Jesus has done for me. Mm-hmm. And and I want you to know about it because I want you to know him. And so I see a movement happening of Afghans reaching Afghans, Iranians reaching Iranians, Iranians reaching Afghans inside of North America that ultimately then reaches out and touches every part of the world Mm. because there are Afghans, there are Iranians all over the world and they begin to share. Someone told me recently, if you share with one Afghan about anything, you're actually sharing with 40 or 50 because they probably (laughs) have a WhatsApp uh, uh, group that they're going to send the information to. The opportunity, if you see somebody come to Jesus, you might be reaching out to more people with the gospel than you would have ever even imagined mm-hmm. in places that you would have never been able to go as a, as yeah. a missionary. So first of all, I want to see people come to Christ who become leaders in the church all across North America and reaching out and touching the world. 
I want to see whole households come to faith. I want to see entire families rejoicing. Recently, my daughter was married to an Iranian. It was a celebration of what Jesus can do. Mm. Everyone there, we were celebrating the reality that it's not an American has married an Iranian. It's that Jesus and his power has transformed these lives and brought them together for his kingdom purpose in an incredible way. So I want to see that. I want to see that happen all across the world with the Iranians and Afghans. But last, I want to see it bring life back to the American church. Mm. I want to see something that unleashes to where Americans begin to be in awe and excitement of God again. And to the point that we're not so afraid to share our faith, we're not so afraid to to stand up and, and talk about things because our faith is not our politics, our faith is our faith. Mm. And it's based on what Jesus has done for us to the point we want to go to the mountains and and shine like lights everywhere that we possibly can. And if I look back over the last 10 years and I go back to your question, what has the our work in the Iranian church done for me? That's what it's done. Mm. It It's made me see God and, and the world differently. And it's also brought Celeste and I joy in ways that we could have never even imagined. It was not our plan to be involved with the Iranian church. Yeah. It was not our thought that if we could just get involved with the Iranian church, then we'd have what we're looking for or whatever. But God has brought so much joy. We have people all over the world that they're like family to us. They're yeah. friends that we look forward to seeing again and going back to on a regular basis. And I want other people to get to experience that. I want other Americans to experience that in their faith. I want other Americans to have those kind of relationships mm. and then to, to get to celebrate, not just a prayer request, but celebrate what God is doing all over the Iran region, all over places that we couldn't go as missionaries all yeah. over our own nation Amen. because he's at work. That's awesome. And Celeste, last question for you. Uh, and currently many people have seen in the news, probably the protests in Iran with women taking off headscarves and you even look at images and not in the news as much anymore, but inside Afghanistan, women aren't allowed in the parks anymore. They're not going to school again as a woman, as a, as a wife, as a mother, what is your hope for the women of the Iranian Afghan region when you think of what's possible with the Lord? I just want them to see that they are valuable, mm -hmm. that they have worth, that they are important and loved. I feel like in those countries, they're so oppressed and so devalued, but they have so much to offer. And I, my hope is that they would just see how valuable that they are mm. and that um, God loves them and created them and created us different for a reason. Yeah. Because if it was left to guys all the time, everything would be very different. <laughs> <laughs> it but, would. but also, I want the American people to know Neil is very well spoken mm. and he is very well studied. But I'm not so much. Yeah. And I think I wasn't sure that God could use me. And somebody asked me the question, probably Neil, what's in your hand? What what has God given you? And you know what? God's given us all love. Mm -hmm. And when we put our actions 
with that love, anybody can be a friend. That's really beautiful. I want to finish. I was listening to a church leader not too long ago. A great, great teacher, wonderful guy. And he he said something during the service. He was talking about a particular country, very similar to Iran or Afghanistan, but it, it was a different one. And he said something along the lines of, only 4% of this entire nation are saved. And he was trying to, you know, um, just urge people to, to care about this. And he, and he said, it, and he, he wasn't doing it maliciously or anything. He said, only 4% of this entire nation are saved, are Christians, no God. And something clicked in my mind where I went, yeah, but 100% of them are made in God's image. And I think when we look at Afghans or we look at Iranians and we say, oh, do I need to get them? No, these are people made in God's mm-hmm. image and they represent God on earth, whether they know him yet or not. And I just think for our listeners, like you said, Neil, before, when we see someone different, sometimes we want to walk away. When we see someone different, can we see the image of God in them and that they have things to teach us? And 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 when we reach out to these people and we love them and we learn about a part of God that we didn't know previously. And so thank you so much for your time. I have really, really enjoyed this. And uh, I want to encourage our listeners, please, um, if you see someone different than you, whether they're Afghan, Iranian, or a different culture, Jesus loves them. You can share that love with them. And and before we go, Neil, quickly, just share, if people do know Afghans, in the in the nations and, and they want to try and reach out to you or other people what are the the best ways to get in contact with you or other people that may may be able to help well i'd love for you to send me a note i'd love to have a conversation with you and uh, ultimately that's where everything starts is just being able to talk about what god's putting on your heart great we'll have that link um in the description on the podcast so neil celeste thank you so much for your time thank you I hope you enjoyed Joe's conversation with Neil and Celeste today. I loved hearing their encouragement to look for the people in our midst to reach out to. You don't have to go across the world to reach the nations. For many of us, the nations are often in our backyard. We just have to be paying attention. One note, in this episode, Joe mentions sharing available resources for ministry to refugees. If you're in the U.S., we suggest connecting with Neil for information on reaching out to Afghans and Iranians in your community. You can contact him at wneilrogers at gmail.com, and that's W-N-E-I-L. R-O-D-G-E-R-S at gmail.com. If you're in the UK or Europe, you can email contact at elam.com for more information on how to reach out to Afghans and Iranians in your locality. Next time, Joe and Jennifer and I will be getting together for Chai Time to talk about how we've been challenged by this season of pray, give, go, and stay. We hope to see you here next time for that conversation. Until then, we hope you encounter Jesus in a real way this week through your prayers, your giving, your going, and your staying. Be blessed. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, would you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast or leave us a rating or review? We'd love for more people to learn what Jesus is doing amongst Farsi speakers today. Jesus Speaks Farsi is produced by Elam Ministries, a nonprofit ministry whose mission is to strengthen and expand the church in the Iran region and beyond. For more information, resources, and ways to partner, visit elam.com.